This podcast is offered by Wildflowers and Sangha. A Dharma Talk by Roshi Amy to SLA Hollowell. Good morning, everyone. Um, what a diverse group we have. Uh, geographically, um, running from the very north of Europe to the very south of Europe and across uh, to Australia um, and many points in between. Uh, we're not alone, right? It's really so nice to be together. I, I myself find it um, in the beginning a bit di disconcerting to sit in front of my computer screen. It's not where my preference would be to sit. Uh, I suppose I could move and not be seen, um, or turn off my video and not be seen. I accept this constraint of this technology that we need to use, which is a wonderful tool for us to be together. So. Um, this morning when I was thinking about what I would like to say to you today, to talk about, to discuss with you, to share with you, um, I, I always come up blank uh, until I let go and accept that the only thing I can possibly talk about is my experience. And that's what I always talk about. So whatever you've heard me say, I'm always talking about my experience. Um, and my experience recently uh, has been my personal, my intimate experience, but has also been an experience that's shared collectively by all of us uh, in that we are all in this circumstance uh, of However, in different languages, we call it differently, but I think in French and Portuguese, we call it confinement. I know for the, in England and the Anglophone countries, they don't call it that, but I think we all understand what we're talking about. Um, we all have varying degrees of this confinement, of being our, our, the way that our lives usually have functioned, being disrupted because of the virus and everything that that impli implies, what we need to do so we don't spread the virus, what we do to protect one another, etc. Um, so we're, we're all facing and living with this same circumstance. And then we each individually have our, whatever arises around that for us. So we all have our anxiety, we all have our doubts, our fears, uh, we're all handling the uncertainty in different ways. Um, some of us got sick, like me. Um, others did not. Some of us are completely alone, living alone. Others have family members or friends, um, partners, children. Uh, some are working at home. Some are working out uh, of the home. Others are anxious about not working, perhaps not having uh, an income, um, fearing where, how they will pay the rent, um, 
some are under stress trying to be sure that their children's school gets taken care of. Um, we're all eating much more at home than we used to probably. Uh, therefore, we're doing a lot more cooking. Uh, we all have our circumstances. So what has happened for me in this circumstance is that I've realized that my, my heart and my mind have opened and a clarity has emerged, not despite this confinement and, and all of the, the rules and the, the circumstances that have been imposed on us, but because of those things. So not despite them, but because of them. It, it's like any, you know, like when you have a, a camera and you zoom in, right? It just so happens that we use that word for this format we're using, but we zoom in and we see close up. We, the frame reduces everything that is superfluous. It reduces what is cluttering, um, the chatter, uh, whatever is clouding or obscuring the view. When we zoom in on it, it becomes much more clear. And we see much more of the details. Uh, we can magnify, we can use a magnifying glass put on glasses. I have to wear glasses to look at the screen or to read because otherwise it's blurry. But the glasses help me focus and they help me to see just what is here before me instead of a blur or, um, or if I clean off my desk, I can better see what is on the desk than when it's cluttered. At the moment it's between cluttered and not cluttered. I should probably straighten it up soon, otherwise I won't see anything. This experience of being sheltering at home, as they say in America, locked down, which sounds very aggressive, confinement, which also can have a very negative tone, um, has helped me to eliminate so much that was superfluous and to see clearly what is just here and to open my heart and my mind because i am eliminating i can open to just what is in a very funny concrete way that i've just been recently realizing because before this i was mostly sick and dealing with that but um Recently, I've, I've become aware of the absence of planning because, say, planning for my summer holidays, right? Well, I can't really plan for them. Um, I don't know what will be possible and not possible. I don't know if I'll be able to travel. I don't know where I could stay. It's all just thrown to the side, the planning of summer holidays. But the planning for many other things too. 
because we don't know. So we're in this situation of uncertainty. And so it's as if I realized how much space was taken up in my mind planning. Planning for something other than what is here right now. Of course, we had to plan this retreat. But it really wasn't very difficult because of the constraints. It was very limited what we could do. We had a meeting. So we had Joa and Lisa and João and Tiago. We had a Zoom meeting. And we talked about what should we do? How should we do it? We explored different possibilities. We made different suggestions. We each said what we felt we wanted and needed. And eventually we came to this situation, but it wasn't very difficult to plan. It probably would have been much more elaborate to plan if we were where we were supposed to be in the countryside, in the forest near Paris. It would have involved a whole different set of planning for each of us individually, but also for the group. So the absence of that need to plan opened up a lot of other space for me to do other things. And what, for me, what has taken place in that space that has opened up, not just in this situation of planning this retreat, but planning what my next meal will be or planning my summer holidays, as I said, or planning uh, writing workshops that I usually organize. Um, because that planning is not occupying my mind, I've realized that I'm doing a lot of, there's a lot of space for nothing. A lot of space for just being here. A lot of space for just appreciating I'm doing a lot more writing than I would normally be doing. Um, I've been looking much more closely at myself, whatever arises. And I've been in my dealings with my family because they're the ones I'm with. I think we've gone, for better or worse, we've gone deeply into our relationships. Um, it's not always easy. Especially I'm living with a son who is 24 and his father, and they're not so happy to be together all the time. Um, and they're not used to being, none of us are used to being together 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right? And I probably all of you can relate to this in some respects. Those of you who are living in close circumstances with family. Um, or friends or roommates, whatever you're living with. And this looking closer has, has really opened so much possibility, so much creativity, um, opened my heart, opened my panorama. And this is all not despite the confinement, but because of it because my space is limited, because my time is organized in a different way, 
because the possibility of um, going out and doing other things is reduced. Some of us have, have been saying that because we are Zen practitioners, this has been much easier for us than for people who haven't been on Zen retreats or who don't have a, a Zen practice. Could be other practices too, I'm just saying Zen because that's what we share here. Because we're used to coming together, being with people who we know, wouldn't normally be with all the time, uh, not really being able to choose what we can do when we want to do it, not having much distraction, uh, have, not having contact with, I mean, you know, not going out and having coffee with people, um, not meeting people in the street like we normally would or in a cafe or at a party or in the ways that you normally would, not going to our usual workplaces, not having our usual activities. We're used to that. We do that in retreats. We're familiar with it. And the same principle applies. That when we, when we reduce, when we eliminate uh, what's extra, there's an ease, a peace, well-being, a clarity that we can discover. Because most of the time, that's all of that is covered up with chatter, clutter, uh, activity, planning. Planning is a big activity, uh, like I just said. Um, There is, in this confinement experience, there's, there is a deep practice of discipline and rigor that is required. You've had to learn a whole different set of behaviors about when to wash our hands, what to do when we go out and do shopping, what to do when we come back, wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, um, How do we greet people? Who do we see? When do we see them? In what circumstances is it okay to take off the mask and when is it not? All of these things. It's, a, it's, a, it's an entirely new discipline and rigor that we've been given. In the Zen practice, we have a different set of rigor, a different set of discipline, but it's all bringing us to the same place to being able to just be here now and appreciate what is here now. The, um, well, last week it was the anniversary of Maizumi Roshi's death, as many, some of you know, we talked about it. Um, you know, ceremonies on Friday in various places. And I recently watched the recording of the ceremony that took place at the Zen Center of Los Angeles. Well, actually, no, 
it was a ceremony that was for all of the white plum successors. So people like me, teachers in our lineage. Um, we were all invited to a Zoom meeting like this, and there was chanting from two or three people. No one was together. We were all in our different places. And then my Zumi Roshi's successors, who are still alive and still part of White Plum, spoke, shared some of their experiences. And a few other people offered experiences too. And one of the one of my Zumi Roshi's successors, he had 12 successors. Um, one, so one, two, three, four of them have since died. Uh, one of them is not no longer a member of White Plum, and but the others were present and spoke. Uh, I think one of them, um, who I think she was maybe his fifth or sixth successor, her name is Miyoyu, uh, an American who lives in the Midwest somewhere in America. She said that in the ceremony that she, her Sangha did to honor Mizumi Roshi, they chanted the names of all of the Dharma, of all of the Sanghas that have been created by Mizumi Roshi's successors and their successors and their successors. So Wildflower, I'm sure, was chanted in that list. Uh, and I think there are more than a hundred throughout the world. And she said they, she did that because it was evidence of the, the, the diversity and the eclectic, how eclectic this lineage is and how creative. She said the names were just unbelievably creative. All of the names of all of the sanghas. Um, and it made her say to herself um, to appreciate it all and to appreciate that that was Maizumi Roshi's legacy, was this creativity and this diversity. Um, and that to ask herself, what kind of Dharma ancestor am I? She asked of herself. Meaning there isn't just one kind of Dharma successor, not one kind of practitioner in our lineage. It's as diverse as this screen we're looking at and all these people. And the closer we look, the more we see that diversity. This diversity, this creativity can arise, did arise, because of the extreme rigor and discipline of Maizumi Roshi's practice with his students, and then their practice with their students, and then their students' practice with their students, and on and on to us. Actually, we are the, I am the 
So there was Maizumi Roshi, there was Gento, there was my teacher. So I'm, Maizumi Roshi would be like my great grandfather. Um, that's the generational situation. Um, and what was passed on was that rigor, not losing a drop. Not, no compromise. The discipline of continuous practice, I would say. Of whatever meets your eye is the way. Everything is practice. Someone else, one of the other successors, no, actually, successor of Burns, who had been a longtime student of Maizumi Roshi, said that for her, what, what was so important, what moved her so much about Maizumi Roshi was his persistence, his not quitting, never giving up, continuous practice. And that's what has lives on with us. All of the forms that we use, whatever they are, help us to maintain that continuous practice. Everything I've tried to do for all of us is to somehow help us to maintain that continuous practice. It's not about wearing a robe. It's not about shaving your head. It's not about having the perfect zendo. It might be, but it's not only about that. What's important is the rigor and the discipline, no matter what form you have, no matter what situation you find yourself in. So in this confinement situation, it hasn't been despite the, the confinement that the rigor and the appreciation and the heart opening and the panorama opening has arisen. It's been because of it. And it always is. It's always what happens. Um, that the frame, the structure, the forms, whatever we want to call it, they make us available. Some Maizumi Roshi used to say they, they, they create the, they cultivate the situation so that there can be an accident. They, these circumstances we're in, they, they, off, they open us up to the possibility of being shaken from our fixed positions. And we never know what will arise in those circumstances, right? It was interesting during the sitting this morning, occasionally I would look up at the screen and there would be a cat going by, or there would be a dog going by. Now we have Maru, Thomas and Joy's son appearing. Um, someone turns their screen on or off, someone appears, someone goes away. Uh, we never know what will arise within this frame. 
and this frame helps us to open up to whatever will arise. As some of you know, uh, because I talked about it, um, when I was sick, I spent all of my days and nights in my bed. And the, the wall of my room is a window, the entire wall. Floor to ceiling. And there were curtains, of course, that I could close at night or I could close if I wanted to, but they were open most of the time. And my window looks out over my back garden and over the next door, there's a big apartment block and a parking lot behind it in the garage. So that was my, that was my view of the world. That was my rear window. You know, if anyone knows the Hitchcock film, um, rear window where James Stewart has broken his leg and he's confined to a wheelchair and he sits and looks out his window all the time. He looks over his courtyard and he sees the neighbors and he imagines stories and all kinds. He gets to know what their routines are and what they're doing and eventually it becomes a thriller, but that's the basic, that's what happens. Well, that was exactly my life. I was exactly James Stewart looking out my rear window, imagining the stories of the, the children playing in the, in the, the parking lot, um, the birds coming and going, watching them building their nests, uh, the cats coming and going. That was my view of the world. And the, because it was so, the frame was so tight, The entire world was open to me. My heart opened to the entire world. It's the famous James uh, William Blake poem about seeing the universe in a grain of sand, experiencing eternity in an hour. That was my experience. The entire world was that. I was that. And the same is true for you. Look closer, I sometimes tell people when they're working on koans. Look closer. You don't have to go anywhere else. You don't have to look anywhere else. And this structure, this framework of our practice, this structure and this framework of our confinement that we're in these days, all of the things we have to pay attention to, helps us to look closer. And to see the differences, to see the fabulous diversity, and also to see the oneness. This disease, this virus, as we've seen, you know, it doesn't infect Buddhas or Buddhists or Catholics or saints. Uh, it doesn't uh, infect men or, or women. It, it infects all of us. It touches everyone. It doesn't, it doesn't make differences.
Like I said the other day, we're all everywhere in the world trying to figure out how to put a mask on. We're all trying to decide what is the best mask. Um, we sometimes say that the Dharma is not high or low. Um, there's a chant we say that is, there is no northern or southern patriarch. There are just all of us ancestors, all of us patriarchs. There's no north or south. This is, a, this is one that I like to talk about in Portugal because there is so much the difference between north and south in Portugal. There is in other places too, and in America we have a different thing with North and South. And we also have this thing in America with red states and blue states, which are the, the red states are um, Trump territory and the blue states are not. And there are no red states and blue states. We're all one. Um, you know, I, I readily admit that I never thought I would get sick with the virus. I didn't, I didn't consciously think that. But I didn't consciously think also that I could get sick. I, it just didn't occur to me that I would get sick. Although I was worried and taking all precautions, but didn't really ever know that it would happen to me until it did. And then all the differences fell away. I, I met my vulnerability. I met great humility, experienced deep humility and Felt one with everyone. There were times of loneliness, as I've said, uh, and I, I recently saw something um, from the philosopher Paul Tillich, who, who pointed out that in that language has given us the word loneliness. I don't know. I'm not even quite sure how we would say that in French, much less Portuguese or. Flemish or whatever other languages we have here, but um, in English we have this word loneliness. And he, this philosopher Tillich, he defines that as that describe that expresses the, the feeling of pain of being alone. He said language also has given us this word solitude, which expresses the glory in his word, but I would say more beauty of being alone. And the difference lies in judging the difference, right? So if we, if we have this, um, if we attach a value to being alone and think that it's bad to be alone and we feel excluded and we feel apart, um, we feel loneliness. But if we don't have that judgment, 
and we just experience it. We are just with it as it is. We can appreciate it for what it is, and we can realize that many other people are alone as well. And that we don't need to be, that we are alone together. Um, we are all here, appearing on this screen, alone in our various homes. But we're together in that. We're not, it's not lonely in that sense. And so in my experiences of feeling lonely, I felt that I was focusing on no one else is sick. Um, no one's talking about people like me. Everyone was talking about people who were dying, people who were in the hospital, people who were in intensive care, um, or having all kinds of arguments about the what the government is doing, um, what we should be doing, what we're not doing, um, how fun it is to have Zoom cocktails. Or, you know, there were all kinds of things people were talking about and sharing their experience. But no, I found very little about people like me who were very sick, but at home, alone. Uh, that was where my loneliness came from when I focused on it. But when I didn't focus on it, when I could share whatever experiences people were sharing, whatever they were experiencing, and when I could just let go of my judgment that people should be feeling what I'm feeling, um, I didn't feel lonely anymore. I even was able to find online a lot of other people like me in various articles, various stories, blogs, forums, all kinds of places where people like me were expressing their situations. But in fact, I say like me, but it's not like me. It's like all of us. Like all of us. In this situation of being, we could see this situation as being stuck, right? We could, of, of being locked in, um, of not having any way out, let's say. Or we could see it as this tremendous opportunity to look closer. to open our hearts, to let go. So, um, I think that's, that's good enough for me. Um, I accept the constraints of this situation. Uh, we can open it up though, if anyone would like to ask questions or share something. I don't know quite how, I, because I can't see everyone on the screen, there's too many, uh, not sure how well know. I know there's a function where you can raise your hand, but I don't know how that works. 
Um, does anyone know? Amy? Yeah. If you click on participants, yep. you'll have the list of people that okay. are online, okay. and then you will see the hand when it's being raised. Okay. It appears next to their name or something? Yeah, like I'm, I'm raising mine. And you will see my raised hand. Oh, I see. Yeah, okay. It's blue. It's blue or, yeah. Okay. So, and for those who don't who want to raise their hand, it's you click on participants and on the bottom right, you have raised your hand or levé la main in French or whatever language you use. Um, and then when you're finished talking, you click again so that your hand is put down. Thank you. I knew this existed. Thank you. One more thing, Amy. As the list is long, you need to scroll up and down to see all the names. Yeah, I see that. Okay. Your hand is still raised, Lisa. Right? Okay, I see. Because no one's raising their hands, I'll just talk for a minute and give people an opportunity if they want to. Um, if uh, I, I am allowed, as a white plum teacher, I'm allowed to share the the link to the recording of that, what I mentioned of the successors speaking and all of that. Um, if anyone, I can't share it like on social media, I can't put it on the Facebook or on the website, but if people are interested, um, I can share the link with you and maybe write, send us an email, or I don't know if there's some other way to do it if you're interested. It lasts about an hour and a half. There's some chanting and then there's uh, sharing. It gives you an opportunity to see some faces, you know, of other ancestors, other successors. You can only see the speakers though. So La has put, given me a thumbs up. I guess that means she wants to see that link or she wants, yeah, okay. Hugo too, okay. And Philippa. Okay. So, and Majed, Risha. I guess I'll have to write these down or something because I'm not going to remember this. <laughs> All these people who want to uh, to oh, oh boy, how are we going to do this? Um, Roshi, maybe we can just send it to the list of people who registered? Yeah, maybe we'll do that. Yeah, we'll just do that. If you don't want to look at it, you don't have to. And But please um, do not share it anywhere online otherwise and no recording or photos are allowed so it's a recording but they asked us that no one 
record any of it and also that no one um like i've shared with you what someone said but they don't want you to publicize it anywhere because this was these comments were made in a private situation among i think there were probably a hundred people on that on it but they were all teachers in this lineage so okay so we'll just send it to everyone Um, go back to the participants to see if we have any hands raised. Yeah, Lisa is raising her hand again. Yeah. How do you deal, how do you, when you see the opportunity that this can lockdown brings and you can experience the way you're experiencing it, but you're when talking to others, some others might not experience the same way and only see the suffering. And saying, no, but look, it's a, it's a great opportunity because of this and this and that. It's, it can sound very, um, um, I don't know what the word would be, but not easy to say anyway, or not easily taken or un understood or heard. Um, yeah how do you deal with that yeah um it's a good question i i i'm i don't want to give the impression that we're like like looking for a silver lining in this and trying to see the positive in it um because it's not that it's 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 actually not turning towards something it's not turning away so that means looking, opening to and receiving all of the, whatever arises, including the suffering, the difficulty, the pain, the fear, the anxiety, the doubt, all of that. Um, and so saying to somebody, yeah, but look how great this is. Obviously that doesn't really help. Um, you can share your experience. Um, if your experience is that you've opened to something um, you've been able to look closely you've been able to this has brought you some new contact with clarity or life or something you can share that all the while listening and allowing that openness that you're experiencing to fully meet whatever the other is feeling and experiencing not judging them acknowledging probably seeing that you have some of that in you too that you maybe don't deal with it the same way that you also have some fear and anxiety the worst thing to do is to turn away from it actually to deny it but, well i say the worst thing the the least helpful maybe and the least less harmonious and the more painful because the other feels even greater pain when they feel like the other isn't oh, yeah, everything's great Rosie I love this let's get on with it um, I'm discovering so many super things you should really do it. try it it's really painful to hear you know and so uh, it doesn't mean that you should not say what you're feeling it just means to meet the other where they are and hear what they're where they are too. 
with the same spirit that you are opening to whatever else you're opening to. Now, my weeks in the sick bed were not all rosy and beautiful. Uh, opening to love and joy. It's not. But I had to open to all of it, which then led me to love. And our Zen practice is all about this. It's not about anything else. No, it's, it's about um, things as they are, seeing things as they are, opening things as they are. For, for however many years that I've had the blog, I mean, it's probably like almost 15 years now, um, the the quote has always been the same at the top of the blog. People probably don't even notice it because it's always been there. But, um, it's a quote from Huang Po. It's, that which is before you is it. Utterly complete. Now, in all its fullness, utterly complete. So if what's before you is pain and suffering, that's it. If what's before you is joy and happiness, that's it. If what's before you is sickness, that's it. If what's before you is health, that's it. That's it. Just that. And ultimately, what you're looking at is you. Uh, okay, Joao has his hand up. Joao Fable. Hello. <clears throat> um, are you hearing me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, just feel very much like sharing something that uh, just happened. And uh, actually, it has all to do with. Uh, what we just heard, uh, and it's it was not about someone else. It was that someone else was me. Um, just just a couple of minutes before the uh, eleven o'clock for, for me in Portugal, um, I had been working and I, and I was preparing to to come and sit in in, in front of the computer, uh, and I, I am with my kids and. One of them suddenly I, I realized I checked by, I passed by the bedroom to check how things were going with her work. And uh, one of them was having difficulty with something. Uh, and so, you know, so I just had to, uh, I immediately I confronted myself with <laughs> this, there was this very set purpose of sitting in front of the computer and listening to the to the Dharma talk, uh, 
and it was, uh, you know, I just had to drop it uh, and just um, immerse myself in, you know, there was something else. Um, I couldn't come. It was not appropriate to come and sit here. Um, And it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was very uh, interesting. And now I was listening to Roshi speak and uh, dealing with this. And it was not another person; it was myself. There was this, <laughs> what I wanted to do, what I was expecting to to do to do. Um, yeah, and it was, uh, it was interesting. It was an interesting uh, experience. Yeah, you know, uh, famous Zen, one of our great, great Zen ancestors, although he never officially received transmission, uh, Layman Pang, who I tend to have a very great affinity for because he's a lay person like us. Um, he's famous for saying chopping wood carry water, right? Or something to that effect, which I have often said, you know, um, changing diapers, washing dishes, because it's whatever you're doing is it. And that's what you need to do is all you need to do. Like Jean says, you know, it's just, you just completely do it, whatever it is. And are you willing? Are you willing to completely do that? Are you willing to make this life of yours your practice wholeheartedly? Are you willing? Because your life as it is is also a kind of a confinement. We can see it that way. I'm not saying this in a negative way. You know, this is, this is how it is. This is your situation. This is who you are. And this is like the best possible thing you could be. This is really, you are the treasure. Are you willing to look closely and be that? That's our challenge. Okay, well, see you uh, later. in five hours now. Continuous practice. Keep going. Until then. Okay. Bye. Thank you.